Um, it's great to have you here. We are entering into our summer series, um, our summer season at the church. A lot of our midweek activities have, have slowed up for the summer, but we want to find ways for our church to stay connected over the summer, so we're going to be um, giving different dates and events throughout the summer for us as a church family and smaller groups just to get together, stay connected. That's probably my favorite thing about this church is just the community feel, and we want to continue to build that over the summer. We'd love to have you invite friends to church sometime. If you'd like to have some friends come with you, we would love to see some visitors through the summer as well. Um, one thing we are doing this summer, again, and we've done it a few times, we're having another, and I'll get ready for your really enthusiastic response right now, another Scripture Memory Challenge. Ow! Yes, this has met, been met with mixed reviews over the last few times. I should say mixed participation. Everyone's everyone in, in love with the idea of memorizing Scripture, but until we get time to six verses in, like, oh, man, that's about all my brain can handle. So we are going to be, through the summer, we're working through the book of Acts um, in the New Testament, and we're going to be memorizing just a short you know, passage from the book of Acts. We're going to have that all ready to unveil next week. And we're going to do it again, kids versus youth versus adults. Last time it was kids versus youth versus men and women, and the men and women got beat so badly. We're going to consolidate teams, right? We're going to make a super team. We're like the Golden State Warriors. We're going to, like, dominate now that the men and the women are together on one team. We'll show those kids who's boss. So we'll have that um, starting next Sunday. Um, but I invite you to jump in to the church over the summer and when you're in town. I know summertime in Minnesota, weather's nice. It's nice that it's about a 40-degree difference between today and last Sunday. That's a, that's a plus. But we understand the weather's nice. People love to do stuff on the weekends. We're going to try and put our services online whenever we can. You can always get caught up on our church website or on the podcast app at Homestead Community Church. Um, so all that, we would love to have you jump in and be connected throughout the summer. All right, so we are starting part one of our sermon series on the book of Acts. Um, we didn't have a creative title. We're calling it the book of Acts, which I think is, I, was, I wanted to call it Acts Body Spray, but that seemed weird um, and confusing. So uh, the book of Acts is where we are going to settle for the next several weeks over the summer. This is a great book in the New Testament. There are so many great stories about the start of the church, about the spread of the gospel in the first century. This picks up where Jesus, you know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then the Gospels all end with Jesus dying, being crucified, dying, raising again, and then being ascended to heaven. And that's the end of the Gospels with the Great Commission. Jesus leaves it with the disciples. Well, the book of Acts is the rest of the story. This is where the story continues on. It is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the only... Gentile writer, non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. He's Greek, and he continues the story from where he left off in his Gospel of Luke. And we did a series on Luke about a year ago, earlier in this year, or last year, I think, um, on the Gospel of Luke. And uh, so some of this will be repeat from that, but he was a medical doctor. This was Luke. He was a medical doctor, and in his Gospel, he set out to write an accurate account or a detailed account of the events of the life of Jesus. He wasn't there during the life of Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples or anything like that, but he set out after the fact to interview all the eyewitnesses. He heard about this Jesus movement, and he joined the apostles, and he set out to write a detailed account so it could be verifiable. And then Luke becomes a close companion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writes a bunch of the New Testament. You'll read a lot of stories about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Now, as I said, Luke was not an eyewitness to these first events, 
But at some point, he heard about this message of Jesus, and he said, I got to research this. I want to get close to this. I want to find out what is going on. He wanted to be a part of it. And there's an interesting thing that happens in the book of Acts, if you read through it. And side note, I would love it if we as a church would read through the book of Acts this summer. It's 28 chapters. It's certainly manageable. I would love to have you. Book of Acts, right in the middle of the New Testament, read through with us as we study. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 today. Um, And then also bring your Bibles with you on Sunday so that we can follow along as, as we study. But it's interesting happens as we look through the book of Acts... Luke, as he's writing the first, like, 16 chapters or so, he's referring to the apostles and all the events kind of in a third person. He's saying, well, then the apostles, they did this, and they went here, and they, like, he's telling a story after the fact. But then right around chapter 16, something happens. He starts using the pronoun we, and then we went here, and then we saw this and did this. So at some point during all these events, Luke hears about it and then joins the apostles, and he becomes a close companion with Paul. And we know, if you know the story of Paul, Paul travels around on several missionary journeys preaching. Luke is with him often. Paul's life ends in a, pro, a Roman prison, and Luke is with him there. So Luke becomes a close companion with the apostles. So he must have been present for a lot of these events. And as it was in the Gospel of Luke, he's giving a detailed account based on eyewitness accounts, people he's talked to, and then things that he has seen and experienced himself. So I'm telling you all these things to say this. If you come into a church service or you look at the Bible through the eyes of a skeptic, like how can we believe that any of this is true? There's some pretty remarkable, maybe even unbelievable stories that we're going to read in the book of Acts. And you might think, how do we know this really happened? Isn't this just fiction? Well, this is a reliable account. Luke researched this with great detail. He gives great details with names of people and places and dates and locations. And he wrote this when all the eyewitnesses that were mentioned in these stories were still alive. So if he made up a whole story naming all these people, it would have been very, very easy for all of these people to say, um, yeah, no, none of that ever happened. But that doesn't happen. This is a reliable account. It can be trusted both historically and then also with just the ministry value of what is in the, gospel, or the book of Acts written by Luke. He's writing to document the rest of the story. It's all about the spread of Christianity from that region in Judea with the disciples and Jesus as it spread through the rest of the world. And it's so interesting if you've read through this. You can see kind of those layers of, of growth in the Christian church. The first few chapters, in in fact, in chapter 6, it says that the word of God spread to the disciples in Jerusalem, and those disciples in Jerusalem uh, increased rapidly. So it started in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 9, it says throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, it continued to expand. And then by chapter 12, it says to the Gentiles, the not Jewish people, the word of God continued to spread. Chapter 16, it says Asia Minor and Galatia. It actually quotes this in 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in that part of the world in faith, and they grew daily in numbers. By chapter 19, it's in Europe, the message of Jesus Christ, large prominent cities like Corinth and Ephesus. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord continued to spread and grew grew more powerful and grew more widely. And then finally, it ends with Paul, as I mentioned, in a prison in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. And the book of Acts ends rather abruptly. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, this is talking about Paul, with all boldness, without hindrance, as his life is about to end in a Roman prison. And you think, 
every time I've read through the book of Acts, it kind of ends kind of with a downer ending, right? It kind of ends with, well, I'd love to know what happened to Paul. I would love for someone to break in and bust Paul out of this prison and happy ending, you know, like the newest Avengers movie. You'd love to have a happier ending, but it didn't happen. Sorry, spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen. If you haven't seen the new Avengers movie, you shouldn't have listened to what I just said a second ago. Um, you wonder why it ends like that. But really, when I, I've been researching this and some of the commentaries say this, Luke is not writing the book of Acts to be the story of the Apostle Paul or any individual. He's not writing to say, and here's the happy ending for all the disciples, because most of the disciples didn't meet a happy ending. Luke's point in writing the book of Acts is to document the spread of the gospel around the world. And at this point, the gospel had spread to the known world. It had reached throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, Galilee, the region Asia Minor, Europe, throughout the Roman Empire, and that was the known world at the time. The gospel had gone to the ends of the earth, and that is where the book of Acts wraps up. So as we work through this book, that's the main theme. That's the main theme. You remember the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples at the end of the gospels. Luke recounts that again at the beginning of Acts. This is the main theme, the great commission being accomplished. There's lots of other themes that we're going to look at, but that's the main one. The Great Commission going forth and these disciples going around and seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ spread around the world. Some of the other things we're going to look at, this is just kind of an intro to the book of Acts. Other main recurring themes that you're going to see as you read through this is that the gospel is for all people. This is like the transition between Christianity being a Jewish kind of Israelite thing like it was in the Old Testament to now spreading to all people, to all people. This good news is to pour it out from all people of different races and nationalities and different religions. And that's what shapes us as a church, as a core value. The gospel is for all people. Another thing you'll see in the book of Acts is there is a prominent place of women in leadership and influence. Another great theme you will see is there's great unity. People from different walks of life, races, religions, nationalities, unified in the cause of Christ. Certainly a big message for our world today, right? Such a huge message for our world today. The gospel unites us. Groups of people that would otherwise be violently opposed to each other. You'll read stories of them working together so that the gospel could go forth. And one other theme that you'll see throughout is these disciples, these apostles, had great dedication and devotion. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Everything they had, they gave for the cause of Christ. The great commission to go into all the world and make disciples was the driving force for everyone involved for everything done and said by these early Christ followers. And it was only accomplished by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And that's where we're going to start today in Acts chapter 1. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at the first, we're actually just going to read the first section of, the, of that first chapter. And uh, this is a huge event. Chapter 1 actually is a recap of the Great Commission as the, all the other Gospels have. Luke doesn't actually end his Gospel of Luke with the Great Commission. It's like he's saving it for the start of the book of Acts. It's almost like if you watch a TV show and then you go back the next week for the next episode and it says previously on NCIS and here's what you missed. You know, kind of one of those things to get you caught up to speed. Of course, in our world today, 
Nobody watches. Does anyone actually watch a TV show live when it's on one time a week? No, we look for it on Netflix and then we watch eight episodes in a row. So when I see previously on whatever show, NCIS for example, I think, I don't need to know that. I finished the last episode literally seven seconds ago. Like, I know what happened last time on NCIS. But that's kind of what Luke is doing at the start of the book of Acts. So I wanted to read the first nine verses. They're going to be up on the screen. If you would like to follow along in a Bible, we have some black hardcover Bibles in most of the pews. That'll be the same translation that I'm reading out of the NIV. But let's read through the first nine verses of the book of Acts, and we'll start start from there this morning. So this is Luke. Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus is, but lots of different theories of who this is. We'll just assume it's a guy that Luke was writing to. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So he's saying in my former book, which was the Gospel of Luke, this is what happened. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Just pause there for a second again. I've mentioned this before. This was the disciples' thinking. They weren't thinking, take the message of the gospel around the world. They were thinking Jesus was now going to lead a revolt and establish a national identity, that Israel would throw off the rule of the Roman Empire and it would, they'd retake their country. It was very patriotic, this question here that they're asking. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up, he ascended before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. That's quite a moment. Quite a swing for the disciples to be thinking, okay, now Jesus is going to lead us in this kind of national rebellion to Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. Instead, I'm going to leave. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to have power and you guys are going to be the ones to take this message all around the world. And all of a sudden, I'm sure just as they're thinking of all the follow-up questions they have for Jesus, starting with, what do you mean? Um, Jesus is ascended into heaven and they're left alone. What a moment. But that moment, Jesus instructs them, stay here, and soon you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will have everything you need to take this message around the world. That had to be an overwhelming moment for those disciples. Have you ever started on a project, maybe a home, home renovation project, and one step in, you realize you're in way too deep, right? This is way beyond your power or expertise. There's been a few times that I have... Um, discovered my limits in home repair the hard way. When I'm halfway through and I'm like, I realize, yeah, I, this is way beyond my skill set. And I start calling all my smarter friends to come finish the job for me. Maybe that was what they felt like in that moment. Like, Jesus has asked us to do this thing, to take this message to around the world. We've never left this part of the world. How are we going to go have influence in every other nation, every other culture? 
And Jesus says to them, just wait for the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power, and you will do this. So let's fast forward then. Let's jump to chapter 2, and this is when it happens. This is the big event. This is when the Holy Spirit comes. I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Talking about the disciples, those first apostles. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, we're going to stop there. Holy Spirit comes. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this for a few minutes, okay? So, if you... Now, we are not going to dive into this too deep because it'll make all of our heads spin, but... We know if you've been around church that there is God the Father who existed, I mean, has always existed, and we read about him in the Old Testament. God the Father is who interacts with the Israelites in the Old Testament. And then there's God the Son, fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ came to earth, walked with the disciples. We read about him in the Gospels. And then there is God the Holy Spirit, also eternal, has always existed. This is when God the Holy Spirit comes to earth. This is a big moment The day of Pentecost is so significant because it's the presence of God coming and dwelling in his people, coming and dwelling in this earth. So if you talk about the presence of God in our world today, oh, I felt God, I felt the presence of God, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God dwelling in us, moving in our midst, moving in our world. And what we read through the book of Acts is this... um, idea of the Holy Spirit being something that is separate from salvation. These people were all Jesus followers, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and baptized them in the Holy Spirit. You read that throughout the book of Acts. There's different times where people say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in the way. I am a Christ follower. They say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit baptism? There's a story in Acts chapter 19 where they say, what baptism have you received? And these people say, well, we've received John's baptism. And the story goes on to say, well, John's baptism, you know, John the Baptist baptizing in water, that's a baptism of repentance. That's a baptism to accept the salvation and mercy of Jesus. But there's another baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is about power and anointing and the presence of God coming and filling you to overflowing. This is what we read about through the book of Acts. It's something separate from salvation, this Holy Spirit baptism. It's where we get the word Pentecostal. And maybe you are, um, maybe you don't want to hear this, but we are a Pentecostal church. We're a part of a Pentecostal denomination. Pentecostal means the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, the word Pentecostal has gotten a bad rap because there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in churches sometimes, right? If you go to some Pentecostal churches, there's some weird stuff going on in the name of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been there, maybe you've been there, and so as a result, when people hear Pentecostal, they're like, oh no, that's when the guy starts taking off his suit coat and swinging it around, and the people all fall down, and then they hand out the snakes, and they start, you know, all that stuff. No, Pentecostal simply means the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that we believe the Holy Spirit came on that day and is alive and living and dwelling in us. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is when the presence of God comes over you and fills you with power and boldness to live for God, 
right? That doesn't sound bad, does it? That doesn't sound scary or scandalous. This is the presence and the power of God coming and filling you so that you can live for God. And you receive what we read about in the New Testament is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a supernatural element to our faith when we live in the life of the Holy Spirit. And some of these gifts that are given to us are prophecy or wisdom or speaking in tongues or the gift of miracles or healing or knowledge or discernment. Perhaps you've ever had a moment where maybe you were talking to someone and you just had this feeling, I'm supposed to ask them about this. I'm supposed to tell them this. And you say something to them and they say, how would you have known that? Nobody knows that. How did you know that's what I was going through? That's the Holy Spirit giving you wisdom in that moment, giving you knowledge and insight in that moment. We've had, Christy and I in our family over the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple different encounters where it simply was somebody calling and saying, hey, I was praying about something. Your name came to mind, so I'm asking you this. Another person said, I talked to a lot of different people, and the, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're the person for this. Those are very tangible ways that the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in us when we have been filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk just for a couple minutes on this idea of speaking in tongues because um, for some of you, it's maybe not the suit coat waving around or anything else, but it's the speaking in tongues thing that you hear and you're just like, I, I don't want any part of that. I went to a church and everyone was yelling in other languages and we didn't know what was going on and my kids never want to go back there again. And so the message too often gets lost in this part here. It gets skewed a little bit in this part here. This part freaks people out a little bit. But what we read in the book of Acts is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is often accompanied by speaking in other tongues or other languages. And if you study this, and I read some commentaries on this, there's a couple of different Greek words. The original language was Greek. There's a couple of different Greek words used for the word tongue. One refers to a personal prayer language, and maybe you've experienced that where you, you prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you began to speak in a language that didn't sound like any language. You were speaking in tongues. That was my experience when I was a teenager, a personal prayer language. But there's another word that talks about a message in tongues, where it would be in a corporate setting, where someone would give a message in another language and it would be interpreted. That's for the, the building up of the church body or for the edification of the body. So, what I read about in the New Testament, what we see in the New Testament, is there's this prayer language. I pray in tongues from time to time. And what it says in the New Testament in Romans 8.26 says this, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. And so that's why I pray in tongues, just quietly to myself. I'm not doing it to show off or to, you know, to, it's not meant for other people to hear and be confused. This is for me to pray when I don't know what to pray for. Maybe you have that ability or that gift, and we're going to talk more about that in a second. But how cool is it that when we are in a moment where we don't even know what to pray for, have you ever been there? I have been there. Stuff going on in my family, stuff going on in my health, in my life, in the church, in other things going on. And I'm like, I, I want to pray, and I start with, God, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know how to pray for this. I begin to just pray in tongues. And I love that that's the Holy Spirit knowing way better than I do what needs to be prayed for, interceding for me, interceding to God the Father for me. So let's look at this story again in Acts chapter 2. And with this speaking in tongues idea, I want us just to think about that moment with those disciples, okay? They have been with Jesus, and they were told by Jesus, you're going to go into the whole world, 
and you're going to reach the world and make disciples. That had to be daunting and impossible to them, thinking, I've never left this part of the world. How am I going to go into the rest of the world? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes, fills them, and they begin to speak in other languages. And if you read the story, it's languages in that part of the world. There were people visiting from every nation, and they were all gathered around. And all of these people heard their own language being spoken by these disciples. So these disciples start speaking in the languages they're going to need to reach the rest of the world. Can you imagine the faith building in that moment? Where a moment before they were thinking, how are we going to reach the world? And then the Holy Spirit comes on them, and it's like God is saying, I've got everything you need to do what I've asked you to do. The Holy Spirit is all you're going to need to do what I've asked you to do. And not only speaking in tongues, but these disciples who were just a matter of a few weeks ago, hiding, fearful that they were going to be killed and executed like Jesus was. Now, all of a sudden, filled with boldness and power to go out and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a transformation that happens because the Holy Spirit comes on them and they are filled with boldness and power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Amen. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We receive power because of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God saying to you and to me, saying this, what I've called you to do, the life I've called you to live, the faith that I've called you to have, the Holy Spirit is everything you'll need to do this. The Holy Spirit is everything you'll need. The Holy Spirit is God's power in you to do what's next. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God's power in you to do what's next. What is God calling you to do? Maybe God has put a dream in your heart or a step of faith, and you're like those disciples. How in the world are we going to do this? The Holy Spirit is what you need for what God has called you to do next, right? Maybe it's the life of faith. Maybe it's just the Christian walk that you are struggling with, and you feel like you are powerless against your past or against an addiction or against the enemy coming against you and preventing you from walking out your faith in victory. Maybe you just feel powerless. Well, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in you, is what gives you that power to live out the life of faith the way God has called you to live it. If you're living like you're powerless, you need the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what to do next in your life or the step that God's asked you to take or to how to accomplish what God has for you to do, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to come on you and fill you with boldness and power. For parents with kids, you're wondering, how in the world am I going to do this with my kids? What a, there's this situation with my family. You need the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you wisdom and insight. Students, you might be thinking, I want to live out my life of faith at school. I want to make a difference in my school. How am I going to do that? You need the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you wisdom and insight and power and anointing to do that. It's not weird or hyper-charismatic. It's simply this. It's simply when we say, God, I want everything you have for me. Like those first disciples, I don't want to just settle for stopping short of what you have for me. God, I want everything you have for me. I want to receive power, and I want to receive everything I need to accomplish what you have for me to do. So maybe we could all just be in agreement on that today. Just open up our hearts and say, God, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I trust you, and I want everything you have for me. So I want the Holy Spirit to come on me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
so that I have the power, I have the anointing, I have your presence walking with me in everything that I do. This was the foundation for those disciples for everything they did. Everything you're going to read about through the book of Acts, 28 chapters, this was foundational. That moment when they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this was foundational because you see them from that moment on having those moments of prophecy or words of wisdom for other people. You see them start praying for people and they are healed. You see them performing miracles through the power of God in their life. This is foundational to what everything happened in this book. This is hinges on them being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, I want us to just be open to that today. And you might ask, well, how do I do that? How do I know or how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, what we see is that God pours out his Holy Spirit and all of them were filled. I don't read any time where people ask God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And he says, "Mm, nope. No, God is the giver of gifts. God is the giver of good gifts. And so what I read about in this and what I see throughout the book of Acts is people open up their hearts, say, God, I want everything you have for me, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they learn how to walk out those gifts and those ministries and that. They learn how to operate in the Spirit. It's just like anything else. We learn how to walk in the Spirit. We learn how to have a life in the Spirit. We learn how to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you'll think, was that the Holy Spirit telling me to talk to that person? And you'll try to talk yourself out of it, and soon you'll get in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you realize that is the voice of God. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to take that step of faith. I'm supposed to go talk to that person. We ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He does, and we learn how to operate in those gifts. That's what we see in the book of Acts, and it is foundational to a life of faith. So I want to know if you would be willing with me today to just open up your heart to God and just say, God, I want everything you have for me. That's all we're praying today. That's all we're praying Maybe you're here and you've never done the the first part, the John's baptism, the repentance part, the receiving salvation. Let's start with that. Let's do them both in one day. But let's open up our heart and say, God, I need you. I want everything you have for me. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Is there anyone who would be willing to pray that prayer with me today? Just fill me up, Lord. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit so that I can live the life you want me to live. So that I can have an impact that you want me to have in my world so that I can sense those gifts that you've given me, so that I can go and, as those disciples did, just make disciples. It's still about the Great Commission, and we can't do it without the Holy Spirit in our life. God is the giver of good gifts, and he wants to give us these gifts today. Amen? Let's stand together as we close. And here's how I'd like to do this. And I would just like to know, if you would be willing to do this, let's close our eyes and let's just pray for a moment. And if that's you today, if you're willing to just say, God, I want everything you have for me, just as I'm doing, let's just put a hand up in the air just to signify, God, I want everything you have for me. I want everything you have for me. I receive your salvation and your mercy, but today, God, I want to receive your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to have everything you have for me the gifts that you have for me, the power to walk in victory that you have for me. This life being led and guided by the Holy Spirit, I want that power, I want that in me. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and have it just overflow in me. So let's just do that and let's just ask him. Maybe in your own words, just ask him. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come on, just ask him. He gives good gifts. Fill me up, Lord. Everything you have for me, we want it.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now let's just begin to thank him. Just in your words, just thank him. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for your presence in my life. Thank you for the power that you give to me. Now I can walk every day in new power and new life. Thank you that I have power over my past and the enemy because of what you have done for me. That I can walk in new victory and strength. Come on, let's just thank him and praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.